great tour, John. Great tour, great country. It's lovely. It's a pity. It's America. Did you know that I was a bit of a songster myself? But you didn't know that, did you? No, I didn't. But I've written one lately that you might like, because it has a punky, punky sort of feel, you know what I mean? I want a job, I want a job, I want a good job, I want a job, I want a job that pays, I want a job, I want a job, I want a real job, one that satisfies my artistic needs. That's just the chorus. Uh, what's it called again? It's called I Want a Job. Oh, lovely. Hey, Sid. I want a job, I want a job, I want a good job, I want a job, I want a job that pays, I want a job, I want a job, I want a real job, one that satisfies my artistic needs. Hey, you like it? It's lovely. You like it, Sid? Stupid cunt. Sid? It's the Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Riser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Where the hell are you? In my niece's my niece's bedroom. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Let me paint a picture for you people. Uh, Gabe is in this room, and there's elephants all over the wall behind him. Somebody loves elephants. And there's there's elephants, and then there's, uh, it says love. And then what else is it behind you? Dream. <laughs> dream. You know. Dream of elephants. Love, dream, elephants. I'm hanging with the family in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah, there's no Rick Froberg records behind you this time. No, I was tempted to bring that Pitchfork record up with me this this time, but uh, I was afraid it might get warped if I left it in the car too long. Should have brought it. I'd be I'd be playing it right now. <laughs> there might be a special edition of like Fleetwood Mac Tusk behind him. Maybe it's another Fleetwood Mac reference to go back to the first episode of this show. It could be uh, the Clutch record, um, Elephant Rider. That's probably what it is. Is there an elephant on the cover of Elvis Costello's Armed Forces album? That could be, although I don't know. Right. Uh, I'll tell you what. There's a Wang Chung B-side called Ornamental Elephant, which is them singing about earrings that have elephants on them. I'll take your word for that one. (laughs) So this episode is going to be themed about elephants. Well, you set the tone, man. Every week you set the tone. Yeah, like it or not, you set the tone, Gabe. There's a local age song called Elephant. How about that? Oh, it's true. Way back. Why didn't I even think of that? Yeah, and every time somebody names a record Elephant or names something Elephant, I get a little pissed off. And I get a little, I was like, hey, wait a minute. Because uh, I'm sure people are ripping off our 7-inch from 1992, <laughs> right? So yeah, so everybody's everybody had a a good weekend. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was good. I made the trip to uh, to hang out, and uh, I'm still paying for it. Still still trying to get enough sleep. But uh, when are you I'll, going back? Well, I'm here for the whole week. I, I'm I'm here till Saturday. So 
uh, visiting family and friends and get to play a show, get to play some drums, and get to uh, think about playing a tambourine. All right, listen. So we, we had a show uh, over the last weekend, and uh, it was outside, and it was hot. And midway through the show, uh, after I realized I wasn't going to have a heart attack or a stroke or anything like that, because um, we were in these flight suits because we were playing uh, the alien movies behind us. So we were trying to dress up like Ripley. Uh, Can I ask you, Scott, did you give any thought to dressing up as Ripley in the final scene of Alien? No, yes. So much thought was given to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We thought about that, but but we didn't do that. We decided to wear the, the suits. Um, but it, what you didn't see was underneath were those little tiny satin underwear, undies type of thing. Mm-hmm. What, panties. We call them panties? <laughs> I do, but like Some when pe- I do my when I say the word panties, my daughter gives me a look like what What is wrong with you? Yeah, right, she, probably, nice. she probably shouldn't be saying panties. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> there should never be a context where, but you know, it's like well, whose panties are these on the bathroom floor? You've only been home for three days and already this house is a wreck. That's that's the context. I'll just give it to you straight. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, where was I? So <laughs> we're we're in this, this outfit. And it's really hot, and uh, you know I'm starting to feel like my 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 r- right arm is is going, and I realize that Gabe <laughs> hasn't played the tambourine at all this entire set. And I'm like, well, what's going on? And I turn around, and I look back there, and Gabe's like frantically looking around for this tambourine. Uh, so we forgot to bring the tambourine. But here's the thing, Gabe. I thought we did like an episode, uh, I don't know how many episodes, like five episodes or something, where you were talking about how you were going to keep a tambourine in your trunk. Did you not say that? I probably said it, but I didn't, I didn't think probably I'd Probably said it. At the very next show where we were talking about it enough that you would not forget it at the very next show, but it just so happens you did. You and Ryan, you, you failed me. I, I feel yeah. like... Uh, I made it come out, and that's half the—that's half of my stick. It's true. It's true. I—I uh, I, uh, when you put it that way, I'm clearly in the wrong here. <laughs> but but let's but let's get this straight. It wasn't a prank. You were not pulling a prank on Gabe. You legit forgot the tampon. No, I was a legit forget. Totally legit. I was le- legitimately forgetful. Um, yeah, that's not the, that. But I mean, it, why would a person say they were going to put a uh, tambourine in the trunk of their car if they were not going to put a tambourine in the trunk of their car? This, to me, seems not so much of a prank, but I don't know, some kind of power move? No, it's basically saying if this ever happens again, <laughs> then I'll, I'll put the tambourine in my car. Yeah. Well, we yeah we and I guess Scott just wanted to jumpstart that process. It was like, okay, let's let's get this out of the way right now so that he can then put this tambourine in. His so, car. was there anything in your car? Was there a kazoo in your car? Yeah, I had the kazoo in my pocket. I was ready. Great. Have, Great. So you had a kazoo. Yeah, because how can you find a kazoo anywhere to play? But sometimes you can find a tambourine at a at a show or a club or you know the sound people might have a tambourine laying around. They're never gonna have a kazoo. Well, that, no. 
But there was a tambourine there for you to play. You just refused to play it. No, actually, Ryan has a small mini tambourine on his hi hat. You could have played that. We could have taken it off of that, but then then I feel and look like an idiot. You can never. <laughs> so that would have been worse is to play this mini tambourine. You could have taken a couple of uh, uh, cymbals and put some kind of handle around them and just <laughs> walked around like smashing them together. No. You could have done that. It's bad enough I got to look and feel like Danny, Danny Bonaducci and play the tambourine sometimes. But this time, to play a mini tambourine, now I, I feel like, you know. You think you look like Danny Bonaducci. Is that what you think? I think you look like Susan Day. <laughs> who, who plays the tambourine? Do they both play it? They, they, Susan Day plays the tambourine. Danny Bonaducci plays the bass. Okay, then I, I got to talk to Manco because he, he called me oh, Danny no, Bonaducci one do day. That. No, oh, so so you're saying Mankow was wrong? I guess so. something. I guess he was. Yeah. What a fucking shit. Took me 20, 20 years later. It took me to figure that out. Anyway, but you just you just accepted it. You just went along. Go along, Jerry. Go along. You just went along. No, I just didn't acknowledge. It, so it might go away. Sometimes you can just avoid something and let the let the dust up. Well, in my experience, I found that if you try to do that, it always comes back, and uh, that's. I know what we're dealing with, <laughs> but anyway, it, it, it was uh, it was still a fun show. Tambourine or no tambourine, it, it was a good show. It was it was a very very good show. I was really uh, happy with it. Psyched. Uh, ben got to come out to the show. Ben uh, was yeah. was was treated with open arms by a lot of people that were very happy to have a Ben sighting at the show. How did that feel to be? To be, uh, how, how did you, did you handle your celebrity well? I think I did. I think I, I think I made, I think I, I think I was able to keep my feet on the ground, but barely, because there really was. Uh, it's, 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 it's amazing to me, the, uh, the open arms I've been received with in your fan base, in your Cold Manor family. It's, uh, well, good. nice people. Good. Thank you. Good. You didn't, you didn't wake up in some strange hotel room at, you know, oh my God, what have I done? I did. I did wake up in a Let it get to my head. <laughs> but I do. I actually, today has been a day where I'm like, what, what have I been saying to people? What did I post? What's wrong with me? What's the matter with me? Why did I email Scott? I'm like, I emailed Scott and I, and, I, and again, it looks like I'm like asking him out on a date or something. I got to just stop. I got to calm down with that. Wow. You got, you just got to let it go. What's, what's with this guilt? I don't What's know. This? It's weird. Well, you were all light last week. Now you're all heavy again. Over what? I think. Well, I think I'm. I think I'm really coming down on. on uh, you know, it's my f- post festival crash, and it was mm-hmm. delayed by this amazing weekend that I had in Chicago, getting to see you play. All right. Uh, we we had a meal together. It was it was a, it was wonderful. I got to see, see Gabe in person and shake his hand. I got to meet Justine, and I got to meet all these other people. It was great, but it really just delayed the inevitable, which is now, like me entering this sort of post-festival depression, because I realized for the next three months, there's not that much for me to I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what, I, I can't hear you, you have to speak up. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's always going to be some more movies to book, you know, you've got, you've got these 35 millimeter movies coming you're right. You're going to be miserable again very soon. So there's no reason to be miserable while you're waiting to be miserable. You That's know what I'm true. Saying? 
You make a good point. Let me wait for something to really be miserable about. In the meantime, I'll, I'll give you something to be miserable about. <laughs> miserable <laughs> yeah. about. I went to go see that new movie, New Order, uh, if you want to be miserable about something. It's a Spanish movie. Went to go see that today. Oh, yeah. Uh, look it up. Check it out. Uh, if you want misery, it, it, that movie's got it in spades. Well, I'll, I, will, I will call your misery and say that I allowed myself to watch Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Ooh, don't ruin it for me. <laughs> <laughs> don't do this. I, I actually want to see it. I don't have high hopes, but, you know, I didn't have high hopes when I went to see Dawn of the Dead. So uh, right. I'm just going to let's just let this one float. And when I see it, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I hope I'm not going to have to defend it. Basically. I'll say one thing in its favor. Good. It's got that guy, Dave Batista. Batista? Yes. The wrestler. I think, I think out of all of the wrestling <laughs> actors, and I'm saying, I don't mind. I think The Rock is all right. The but, Rock is great. The Rock yeah. is my boyfriend. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I, I don't have anything bad to say about The Rock, but I'm saying out of all of them, I think Bat- Batista is the best actor. Like, I find him to be a good actor. Like, he's in movies and he's not just the same every time. Like, uh-huh. he's the blue guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. But is then it in blue? this movie, is it blue or green? Gabe I can't, can't, movie, I can't remember. He's Gabe, some color. He, he Gabe likes... He likes wrestlers, so he might know it, this oh. one. Okay. I don't. I don't know their their movie status. And all right. I don't know why he'd be, his character was why. good in, in, in WWE. Character that wasn't real. No, that's his name. But they called oh. him Batista. It wasn't Dave Batista. It was just Batista. Oh, just Batista. Yeah, <sighs> like uh, I don't know, Cher. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly like Cher. So, um, so Gabe, you spent a lot of time behind the the drum kit this weekend. Um, I got to play with the guys and, and uh, you know keep the beat while they jammed. It was fun, and they threw me up there for the live set the next night and played some rock stuff. So that was good too. Yeah, had you ever played? I when I saw you at the drive-in, you you played drums for Smothered and Hugs. Had you ever played that song on stage with them before? I've never I've never played Smothered and Hugs with them before, but I've played drums with yeah with the band before in front right. of people. So it, it's right. not foreign, but uh, we didn't practice. You know, the sketch just said, "Here you go, get up there and play." And I'm like, "Okay, here, let's let's do it for the first time in 15 years." <laughs> And this, that's the first time you ever played drums on Smothered and Hugs was on stage live at the show. I think so. Yeah, I've never I've never played it with the guys before. That's but uh, you've played it acoustic before. I've played stuff acoustically where where it's kind of quiet and you don't have to be in the forefront and keep the time of the song with the rest of the guys. And this is a little different because Ryan was playing bass and you know I had to kind of ride tempo with him and Scott was kind of playing lead throughout the song. But I think people enjoyed it. It was, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. I wanted to uh, play that, play some solo, pull my pants down and crap all over that song. I wanted to do that. It kind of reminded me of back in the day when you used to cover uh, Cocaine from Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever played it before him, you know, I never knew that was a cover, but. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember. With, <laughs> with the blue strand? Yeah. Yeah. So we. Uh, 
I had this band in uh, high school called Rude Awakening, and we played the uh, talent show. And we got up there and played two songs. One of them was a song I wrote called Assorted Candy. Uh, you remember that one, Gabe? Uh, not particularly, but... I remember hey, Brutus, Betty, I want to keep you around. <laughs> you know that one? Uh, and then we decided to play a cover of Cocaine. So we played this like really long version of Cocaine, and uh, nobody really said anything to us. <laughs> they didn't talk about how inappropriate it was, but yeah, we did that. Was that song inappropriate for radio at the time? Because it was just different back then. Because it's not an anti-cocaine song, is it? Um, I not don't really. think I don't think it's very judgmental when it comes to the, the cocaine. Yeah. I mean, it stays neutral I, on the subject. Yeah, I mean, Master of Puppets <laughs> is a is far more anti-cocaine than cocaine is. But there's nothing controversial about Master of Puppets. But there wasn't anything controversial about cocaine. Well, it was the '70s. Uh, and so they, they didn't, you know, they used to say, we didn't know it was bad for us. No, uh, they didn't. And with, in the eighties with master of puppets, it's like, you know, it's clearly anti drug, anti cocaine song. So that's okay. You know, you could have stuff like uh, bright lights, big city or less than zero. And as long as they took a stance that cocaine was bad, there was no problem. Right. But you know, a pro cocaine movie might have a problem in the 80s. So yeah, well and that's why things end badly for Al Pacino and Scarface, but um mm. but also in Scarface isn't there that song that's kind of like just like a pro cocaine pop song that rush rush give me yayo or whatever isn't that kind of <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yayo. Yayo. <laughs> yeah, is there a pro cocaine movie? Um is the one that Ted Demi did it's considered not pro. Oh, blow, blow. Yeah, I guess not. Maybe. Uh, no, no, it's not because somebody gets their comeuppance. Mm. But at at any rate, uh, high schoolers playing a a at best laissez faire song about cocaine, or one that takes a laissez faire approach or stance on cocaine. In the eighties, probably not the best. <laughs> idea well it's just an excuse for guitar heroics. wonkery yeah. oh and I took it I took it there <laughs> I took it there that was at least 10 minutes of just masturbation on the guitar wasn't it when when you played it at the high talent show <laughs> Mas- you say masturbation I say pyrotechnics <laughs> dude that guitar that I had, uh, and maybe we can talk to Troy about first guitars later, uh, but that first guitar, the action was like an inch or an inch and a half off the neck. I don't know how I <laughs> played any of, I don't know how I did anything on that guitar. It was amazing. Like th- that kid was a much better guitar player than I am now. Mm. He had no taste. Didn't have any taste. <laughs> but yeah, Did you say it was, it was a Fender? A it was an actual Fender guitar and the action was that fucked up? No, it was a Harmony. Oh. Was it, wasn't a Strat? No, it was a Harmony. It was, uh, it was a Harmony that was, I think, about like 100 bucks, uh, but it came with an amp. 
Um, couldn't have been. Maybe it was even cheaper. Maybe it was like seventy-five. It was. It was. Huh. It's a bad guitar. But I had that thing for a long time before. Uh, before I got that. That sort of red Gibson Strat I had for a while, and then I had the blue Strat for a while. Okay, I was thinking it was the blue Strat. Then it was. It was pre-blue Strat. Pre-blue Strat, and my black Strat that I have is it's blue underneath the black paint. Somebody painted over that, and it used to be a blue Strat. It's almost like that Strat that I have now is the blue Strat uh, reincarnated. But you bought it after it had been painted black by somebody. Yeah, I bought it new. Oh. You know, like, yeah, completely new, and it wasn't until years later that some of the paint came off, and I said, this guitar is blue. This isn't black. Hey, look who it is. (laughs) It's Troy. What are you at a baseball game, Troy? <laughs> hey, everybody! It's Troy Van Leeuwen. Yeah, I'm here. I made what? it. You made it. You you, you yeah. put the you, the beast down. I put the beast down, and I've got some different beasts um, roaming this this backyard space I'm recording in right now. So we'll try and keep them down. In, in no, 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 that's good. Well. We like we we like we like the dogs. The dogs uh, add. Uh, atmosphere and texture and texture. all those things yeah that we love <laughs> right cool so if you don't know who troy is he's been in more cool bands than you've had hot meals he's been in <laughs> failure a perfect circle he's been queens of the stone age he's also a heck of a guy and uh here he is it's troy everybody hi guys um <laughs> it's good to be here um and uh i'm a little out of practice i gotta say I, for what? I, I haven't I haven't talked to many people for the last year. You haven't done anything, family, have you? And uh, a couple of my a couple of my bandmates. Yeah. 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 But um so, yeah. How 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 long have you been doing this, my friend? Uh I think this is our 16th show, so 16? 15 weeks. So you're 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 getting busy. I'm, uh, Busier than I am. <laughs> Grizzled, maybe. Uh, I mean, Grizzled, I haven't, yeah. I haven't seen you guys. Uh, your, your name pop up on any of the rock fests. You're not in a hurry to get back out there. What's going on with you guys? Well, um, there's, you know, some some ideas of new music um, yeah? that we want to focus on, um, and I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, I mean. Lord knows I want to get up and play, you know, I've been dying, but, uh, I think it's better to focus on new material. There we go. <laughs> Here we goes one. She agrees. There's that texture. New material. Um, so, you know, doing a bunch of shows while, you know, while we're in that process, I think is a, is a bad idea. Just let, let everybody else run into the fray like a bunch of blind sheep. You guys wait it out and then come out with the new music. I think that's a good, good plan. I mean, I think I think that the timing lines up, you know, that way, and I think that is good. Yeah. Well, that's um, exciting. New music. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think it's best that we that we just kind of do do what we do best and make another record, and then, you know, get out and play. Um, yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a suburb of Long Beach, California. So not too far from where I am right now. Um, I'm in the valley. I'm a valley boy now. Um, uh-huh. 
Valley of Los Angeles. But uh, so yeah, Lakewood is kind of like a sleepy suburb of Long Beach. And um, yeah, I don't like have tattoos that say represent Lakewood, you know, just in case you're wondering, you know, it's not like a, pl a place that I'm, I'm like, you know, down with, you know, I kind of left for a reason. <laughs> right. You know? But, but you are a California boy. California, pretty much. Yeah. Born and raised. And yeah. you started playing guitar at 13? 13 years old. Um, yeah. I picked up the guitar. I was a drummer first. I had a drum kit and everything. I was, I was going there. I was like all hot uh -huh. and like ready to, to hit stuff and drive my parents crazy and um, but you know, I I was listening to the first Led Zeppelin record, and I really wanted to like learn that John Bonham triplet kick drum thing, and I just couldn't ever figure it out. What and in Good like, Times Bad Times? What were you talking about? Yeah, Good Times yeah. Bad Times. You know, right? Um, so I mean. I was like, oh man, I'm really frustrated. So I kind of hit a ceiling of like drum playing. And then my cousin, like, I have like one cousin out of multiple relatives that's kind of, you know, an art, an artist and, and is kind of, you know, has taste and, and knows about cool music and, and great art. And he gave me a guitar when I, when we were, we were both the same age. And, um, yeah, I picked it up and I was like, oh, this is, this is fun. And so I took the, like six months of lessons and I was like playing like the solo to the Rover, you know, <laughs> like I was uh -huh. like, I had, a, I had a, a, a pretty great teacher at first. Um, his name is Rusty Anderson, by the way. And he plays with Paul oh, McCartney. Oh, Rusty. Now. Yeah. Fucking so, plays with Paul McCartney, man. There. But, uh, yeah, I, I basically was like, well, I'm, not, I'm never going to get that triplet thing down on the kick drum, so I'll just, I'll just act like I'm Jimmy Page instead. <laughs> so you started playing guitar because you thought Jimmy Page was easier to do than John Bonham. <laughs> for me. Just, I'm not saying it's for everybody, no. So but you started playing... You were playing guitar at 13. I was playing a guitar because we're the same age. So we're like across the country from each other at the same age. And Jimmy Page is our guy, except I never once thought I could play drums, which freaks me out that you would have. Well, it's, it is a, it's something that I can, that I still like, would like to do, but yeah, it's that, that ship has sailed. You know, I get on the drum, I get on like a drum kit and, any drummer that I get on a drum kit, they're like, hey, 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 e easy, stop. Well, don't you think the most annoying thing in the world is a drummer playing guitar? Come on, let's be honest here. I mean... We're not naming any, any names, but there, we know who no we're talking being about. named here, but for the most part, yes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so, kudos, yeah, you know, I, I respect that, and I will, I will try to respect their territory as well. <laughs> Yeah. What was so your first? So you were you were a pagey guy as well. I mean, he was kind of total guy. pagey guy. Yeah, he was my guy. I I, I tried to smoke at one point because I wanted to have the cigarette like hanging out, and that just didn't work. It was just like I couldn't see anything. Oh man, 
Yeah, I tried that. When I I I used to smoke and and yeah, it it was I thought it was like if I could do that, that would be great. And I just could never. It just gets in your eyes and it's like I can't like uh, it hurts. Uh, so nope, can't do well, it. Well, did you love a uh, uh, song of man's the same, or did you hate it like everybody else? I mean, I loved it. So there were things about it. You know, when you hear when you hear a song, like first like in a live setting mm-hmm. and like say cheap trick at Budokan, like yeah. that version of ain't that a shame is so good. And, and I want you to want me. I heard those first. Right. And so when I bought the record, I was like, huh, kind of like the live version be- better. What's so this shit? There were, <laughs> there, huh? What's that? What's this shit? What's this piano shit on the, I know. <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? What the fuck? Um, but so I, I was kind of, for Song Remains the Same, I hadn't heard like Celebration Day. I haven't heard wow. much of record three. Right. And so Celebration Day was like, whoa, this is like, I loved that version on the, on the live record for sure. Um, and I'm trying to think of, of and, and actually I didn't hear No Quarter until after a Song Remains the Same. So yeah. I was uh, so there's those are a couple songs that I was like into that record for, but I gotta say, 28 minutes of of a dazed and confused. I'm I didn't have the attention span for it at that <laughs> well, you time. Don't have the, no, it, it, it's a lot to ask. <laughs> it's a lot to ask. But Paige is on fire in that movie, and it's like it gets shit on a lot because I think because of Plant's performance, but. Page is not phoning it in one bit on that. He's unbelievable. No, he's not. Um, he's he's basically, um, you know, I mean, you're a fan. You listen to those records, and you you can hear him doing three parts. Yep. You know, and then live he's doing all three parts, and he's just kind of, you know, shifting in between them all, and then adding improv on top of it. And I'm like, it's just, yeah, it's mind blowing. Yeah. And you're like, and, you're the whole show. And yeah. then like, Plant is just like playing tambourine, you know? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, his voice is great, but it's like him and John Paul Jones, you know, are like the wings of this Zeppelin, you know? It's, it's right. so like, like Jonesy is doing 17 things and Pagey's doing 17 things on one instrument. And it's like, yeah. And then you got Bonham, you know, running the whole you know, the engine room. <laughs> so it's something else. It is something else. So it's, it's like, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, when you're 13, 14, I was told once that when you're, whatever you're listening to at that age, it kind of sticks with you forever. And I, I would say that's true for me. Yeah. So you got lucky. It could have been lover boy. It could. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never sat and listened to a Loverboy record. I'll, I'll say that much. I do know who they are. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, usually my my sort of barometer of stuff that I like was like if 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 it's kind of like a, a interesting to play along to, you know, because I I tried to like um, I tried to like you know learn music theory and all that stuff, and I I just I got another thing I had no attention span for, 
you know, I'm, I was always an ear guy. I always listen to records and move the needle and uh -huh. play along and try and figure it out. That's how I learned pretty much every everything about music. Yeah, but you know your modes, right? You, you, you got your modes and your... Uh, I know that there's a, a pentatonic scale. <laughs> no, That's the wrong, one I know. wrong. What no, do, you don't I know mean, the Phrygian? To, you don't know the Mixolydian? You don't know any of that stuff? I don't know any of that stuff. I mean, I stumble upon everything and... I do, you know, I just hear harmonics, I guess, you know? Yeah. And I, and I know that there's a name for it. And I know that there's like a circle of fifths and like, <laughs> I know what a, you know, a D minor diminished chord or D diminished chord is, but not much more than that. You know, I don't, all I know that's, you know, I never, I've never like figured out what an augmented fifth is, you know? <laughs> and this, like, I'm, if I were wearing my glasses, I'd be going, yep, like, work. <laughs> um, so I just, I, I just, it's easier for me to, like, listen and, and jump in, you know. It's kind of right. the way it is with a lot of, a lot of, you know, the bands I play with, too. It's all pretty much a, a feel and a, and a, and a vibe before, like, any theory gets involved you've played in so many bands that kind of surprises me that you just, you just listen to it. Nobody needs to tell anybody, look, this is what's going to happen. I, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's funny. It's sort of had the same, um, I guess you call it audition in quotations for each uh, of those bands. First being failure. I mean, I was already a fan and I already had, you know, Fantastic Planet was done a year before it came out. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, I knew Kelly um, from just being around L.A., you know. And uh, he gave me a cassette of the, of the record before, yeah, way before it was out. And so I knew, I knew the songs already. And, and, and when he was like, hey, we're looking for a, a, a guy to come in and, like, fill in the gaps, I was like to tell me when and I'll just show up and I'll I'll just play so and so Ken kind of did the, the precursor like hey why don't you you know we'll go over some stuff and I showed up and I was like dude I, I, I just played right along with him and he was like okay all right yeah let's let's just do this so same thing with Billy from a perfect circle you know everything that he kind of threw at me I was able to digest and 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 adapt to and also with queens you know i was a huge fan so i knew all the first record and all of rated r already before <laughs> i stepped in a room with him so I, I i'm just that's the gift that i've been given from you know i think it's from my dad he he never you know he was a trumpet player but he never learned music or any of that stuff you know played in the the army you know <laughs> sang in the choir at church and stuff like that, <laughs> right. you know? So that's my training. There you go. Had, had you played in bands with Kelly before that? So Kelly, yeah, actually. So before I was in failure, I had this band called 60 Cycle, and we put out a record um, in 95. But Kelly was originally the drummer in that band. Um, and uh, when he started making Fantastic Planet, we we couldn't use him anymore so uh, um a guy named Dieter Hartman came in to play 
at that point. But we had played together, I mean, back in like probably 90 or 91, just in a room jam session with, it was me and him and this guy named Martin Lenoble. You know who he is? No. He basically was in like, Thelonious Monster and Porn of Papyros. He plays with David Gahan all the time. Okay. Um, he's this Dutch badass bass player that's always been toothless in the front. He's always had missing teeth and he has this great look. Um, and he was an incredible player. But somehow the three of us were in a room just playing with a, I think a singer was there too. But we just took off. We just played for like an hour and a half, and the singer was like, "Wait, so should I sing?" <laughs> we're like, "No, we're having fun." Um, so yeah, I've known Kelly for a long time. I, I used to go see him in that that band Liquid Jesus that he was in um, back then too. So we're old friends, old pals. So that's when we met when uh, Local H and Failure did that tour together. How long had you been playing with Failure before that tour happened? So that was. Was that early 97? That was early 97, right, Gabe? February is when this tour started in 97, like February, March. So, yeah. I'm so glad you remember that, Gabe. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> it was cold. That's right. Um, yeah. So, I joined Failure in, like, I did my first show with Failure in May of 96. So, Yeah. So it was almost a year by the time uh, we, we became friends. You guys are out with, uh, what, like Tool a lot? Is that the So we the, the would word? open up for Tool. Um, we opened up for this band called Soul Coughing. Remember them? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. Soul Coughing. Mike Doty. And like, it, was, it was actually a pretty fun tour. It was yeah. Totally two different, two different vibes, but it, it somehow worked. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those were the kind of the two bigger things that we did. We did some of our own shows, too. I think we did a round of, like, my very first time doing it, too, was this, uh, you know, the radio festival season, like, December. Like, you know, like, here we have the K-Rock Almost Acoustic Christmas. And, like, so if you have, like, you guys had a song being played a lot at that time, sure you guys did them so we did too and we did yeah like five or six of those shows and that was kind of it before yeah we hooked up with you almost everybody that was on that tour i mean is still i don't know still has the bug i mean that that was a that was a good that was a really cool combination of people um yeah yeah i mean rusty was on that tour yeah, you had Edna, Edna Swap. Swap. With, right. And um, Carla was on that tour. Yep. Azar, who now plays with Autolux and Jack White. And like, yep. she's, she's still holding it down. It's like Edna Swap kind of won. <laughs> they had that <laughs> song that... What's her name? Natalie Ambrulia, whatever. Yeah, her name when was. Ann, they Ann and Scott must have made a mint with that Stay, Natalie Ambrulia. I Brulia think cover. they were like, okay, we can close up shop. We got money now. <laughs> Why <laughs> right. tour in a van? You know, like 
opening up for two other bands, you know, like just stay <laughs> home and write more hits. That's what I, that's what I, I heard. And then Rusty plays with Paul McCartney. And, uh, you know, I mean, Jesus perfect. Christ. He's the, like the perfect guy. And he's been probably doing it for what? Almost, I don't even know how long, but yeah. He's, he's like a guy that, that knows like every Beatles song inside and out and another guy who can just you know he was my guitar teacher so he knew modes and he knew scales and stuff oh yeah oh yeah he knows all that shit yeah yeah who else did he teach do you know i don't know but i mean you know he was i think it was just a a, a gig that he did for for a couple of months and literally when he, like, he didn't show up to my lesson one day and he was gone. Like, and I was like, they gave me some other guy and I was like, I'm not into it. So I stopped taking lessons at that point. <laughs> I was like, I'll just listen to records and imitate James Honeyman Scott and Jimmy Page. And that's what, that's, that's another one of my favorite guitar players from the Pretenders. So that, yeah, so that we did that tour that, that was that was, uh, and then I didn't see you for a long time. And, True. Uh, yeah. The la- I remember the last time I saw you, you were, it was in a bar. Uh-huh. I mean, you can tell the story. I don't need to tell it. <laughs> if you, you want. You, it. Saw, you saw me get my ass kicked royally. I, 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 it, it, was, it was an unfortunate turn of events for your jaw. Yes. Yeah. Because you were like having a great time. We were having a great time. We were having a great time, yeah. Um, it was, and you were like dancing on a table, like you were going to go to Hawaii the next day or something like that. And you were like spraying champagne, like you just won the fucking formula. Like, I don't know. You, you were you, like, you should have been on a horse with flowers like, all around you. You were like, yeah, we won. We finished the tour. Um, but, um. Yeah, and some guy wasn't into your enthusiasm, and he basically kicked the table from under you. And right. then your jaw landed on the, on the next table. Well, I, I, he yanked the uh, bar stool out from under me. I was dancing like on a bar with a, a lesbian Elvis impersonator. Yeah. And, and then he yanks it out from under me. My feet go flying. I hit the back of my head against the bar. And right at that point, I have a concussion. I mean, I'm also unbelievably drunk. Yeah, yeah. We and were, so we were celebrating I, for sure. just about to black out, I go after this guy, and he just destroys my face. And, oh, so uh, I didn't see that part. Okay. Okay, yeah. So that would, but yeah, so that's, I thought you've, because I heard this, like I heard later that your, your jaw <laughs> got wired shut on the way to Hawaii. No, so the next day, uh, I went to Mexico and it, Mexico, it was Hawaii, it, same thing. It, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, the food is great, and you know, it's like it was like a uh, all-inclusive place, and I couldn't eat anything because my my jaw wouldn't open. So I spent the next <laughs> week getting really drunk and getting you know a heat stroke, and then when we came back that week, we went straight to Australia, and my I still can't move my jaw, so I'm wondering how I'm going to sing. We get to Australia. Somebody gave us some pot as soon as we uh, landed. So 
I take this pot that was grown on top of this mountain in Australia and I start smoke, start smoking it and I start watching a Xena warrior princess. And then I start messing with my jaw and I can hear it ripping and just going. And I, while I was high watching Xena, I just basically put it back into place and it's <laughs> been fine ever since then. Okay. Wow. God damn. Yes. <laughs> you popped your own jaw back in place. Uh, yeah, the pot in, 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 uh, Australia is pretty good. Was that the first time we went or the second? I don't remember that. Mm, that was the second, I think. Okay. No, that was the first. Sorry. You could have probably stitched yourself up like Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse at that point. Yeah. No, I wasn't that much of a tough guy. <laughs> at all but uh, you know it was very rock and roll situation you know that was unfolding that's what i thought at the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well i'm glad you brought that up troy so after that unfortunate incident uh i i i remember somebody telling me they had seen you do some catering is that true and i was like yeah yeah, like somebody yeah. So, at, somebody at our label said, I saw Troy, and he was doing some catering, and I was like, oh, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, although, you know, I I did join a band called Failure, and I thought, you know, <laughs> there's no way it's going to fail. Like, there's got, it's too good, you know? Um, but, yeah, like, near the end of our tour cycle, which is later that year, and, like, out we finished up with like, I mean, I think there was definitely a, a burnout factor for, for some of us. And there was a, you know, an ex- excess of drug taking for other folks. Um, but yeah, the, the end of that tour was like, we were playing two shows at Lollapalooza. We were opening the main stage and closing the second stage. So by the right. time we got to the last show, in like I think it was like San Francisco. Um, yeah, I mean it was kind of like <laughs> you could tell, you know, uh, everyone was frazzled. So who did you take over for? Who, like had, a, who had dropped off that you were taking over for on that main stage? So Corn were like way up high on the on the main stage, and I think one of the guys got meningitis or something like that. And so they needed, you know, they needed a, a someone to, you know, they need, they wanted to move up all the slots and then have somebody, you know, open up the main stage. And we thought it was a great idea. Um, and so <laughs> we're like, we'll play to more people that aren't there at two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, right. But anyways, right. I mean, it was an experience. And I, I mean, I loved the shows, the shows were fun. You know, it just got a little grueling. Um, so yeah, we, you know, we, we basically got home from that tour and like a week later, Ken's like, yeah, I'm going to, um, I'm breaking up the band and I'm going to start a solo career. Uh, so I was like, okay, I guess there's nothing I can do about that. Right. Um, and so I was, you know, in between, you know, those failure tours, I was working at this restaurant uh, in L.A. because we weren't making very much money. <laughs> and I was like, you know, right. I got to keep, 
you know, the ball. I'm going to keep the, you know, I have to keep my, my fancy dress style, you know, <laughs> current. <laughs> so anyways, right. I, I've had this crazy work ethic that I'll just, you know, I'll work on my time off. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I, then I started working there full time. So, yeah, I was delivering food to all the studios, like mostly movie studios, uh, television studios. I'd be I'd bring in like platters of sandwiches and and uh, and salads and like, you know, like the one the one delivery that I made um, that was really kind of like, oh, man, this really sucks was I delivered food to the guy who directed our video for stuck on you this guy phil harder i literally walk in luckily you know i'm wearing you know i am wearing you know black dickies and and a, and a white shirt and a black tie because that was the dress attire so i f i felt like i was in the right you know spot working at this place but anyways i delivered him food and he's like what are you doing i'm like um you know this <laughs> Was it Phil that told me? Would it have been Phil it, that told it, me? If you know Phil, it was probably it might have been him. Yeah, we made a bunch of videos with Phil too. So yeah, okay, that's what I thought. You know what? I think we got we we got him to do our video because of one of your videos. I think we started working with him because we liked your video. Was that right? I don't know. I'm he was sure like right. working with everybody that we knew. That's all I know. So that's for me. I was like, yeah, yeah. To, to like go, hey, I'm delivering food now <laughs> after, you know, having all this, quote unquote, you know, a success. It was like, you know, I got to do something else. So I, I, um, I would just say that was a point where I was like, I, I got to do something, you know, musically rather than, you know, delivering sandwiches to all my old friends. <laughs> But I mean, that's that's not. I mean, it it sounded worse than it was because you were making moves during that whole time, and you know you were you were in perfect circle, unbeknownst to me, probably at the time, right? Well, yeah, there was a period of time there where, and uh, um, I was working for a producer named Josh Abraham, mm -hmm. and he did all this work with like. Uh, a band called Orgy and like Limp Biscuit and like that whole scene of, you know, new metal. He was kind of in that. And, um, and I was like learning how to use pro tools uh -huh. at the time. You know, I was like, I better like learn this new technology because everyone's going to be using it. I'm probably going to have to use it at some point too. Right. Um, so it's kind of primitive, like pro tools, editing and and um you know engineering and chopping samples and replacing drum sounds and shit like that and so you know i would be in the studio working with him um you know and then he'd be like come on dude play guitar on this song you know so inevitably i would do some session work on the side at the same time yeah. so i'm you know I ended up playing on a bunch of a bunch of records at that in that period. Um, my favorite band that he was working with at the time was this band called Deadsy. You ever heard of Deadsy? 
No. Dead Z? Dead Z, like dead with an S and a Y. Anyways. Dead Z. That was why I was like, yeah, Dead Z. So it's it's this guy named Elijah Blue, who's Greg Allman and Cher's offspring. So it's pretty interesting music. Right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah. I was in the studio a bunch with with Josh Abraham. And then on the weekends, I was playing with Perfect Circle. It was early on, you know, we were just getting the tunes together and, and uh, you know, everyone making extra time on their weekends to like, you know, make this thing happen. So, so that was, yeah. So I was definitely making moves and I was definitely, um, you know, working a lot behind the scenes. Right. And, and delivering food to, to pay for your wardrobe. Uh, yeah. No, I was able to like buy lots of suits with, with that, with that money. <laughs> when did you start being Dapper Dan? I mean, did, did that thing happen with start with failure or was that like something like even before that? And they were following your lead. He's like the Brian Ferry of this generation. I, yeah. I mean, I always liked, you know, wearing a suit and I was always like at thrift stores when I couldn't afford shit, you know? So it was always like, Oh, this suit is kind of, it kind of fits me. <laughs> I'll just buy it for 15 bucks. Right. <laughs> you know? So, it's, um, I, it's just kind of, it was kind of the thing that I just was like, I, I don't want to like pigeonhole myself with a look. A suit is classic. You can always wear a suit, you know. So, that's that was kind of my philosophy, you know. Yeah, you're like a superhero. It's 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 your you know it's your outfit. I mean, it's not it's not the most comfortable outfit to wear on stage for two hours. But I suffer for no. my art, you know. <laughs> of course you do. Well, what seems to me like even even tougher is like when you just want to walk around and it's and it's hot as balls out, and you know you just want to go get some Mexican food. And you still got to wear that because someone might see you. That is, again, you know, so without trying to pigeonhole myself, I kind of did anyways. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's like I've I've grown to to um, relax a little bit in the last year. (laughs) I'm not wearing a suit every day. (laughs) I'm I'm wearing more of a robe, though. It's a fancy robe, but it is a robe. I I can see that being a smooth transition for you. I mean, it's I'm I'm digging it. I mean, I got out of my road to put on this nice kind of poloish shirt, you know. But you could you get the Queen's logo on the back if you wanted. No, I get I get my own name embroidered on it. <laughs> this is mine. <laughs> just in case I forget, you know, if I had too much right. wine, I'm just like, that "Oh, will- that's me. That will happen. So then in, then you're in Queens after this in, in what, 2002? So, so yeah, so the, the Perfect Circle tour that we did was about a year and a half, and it was a, a pretty extensive tour. You know, I mean, we, we did a lot of traveling, and that was the first time I really kind of got to see the world outside of That America. record was big, too, right? I just Somebody just posted, yeah, this record came out at number four, which was like this record-breaking sort of like 
debut um, release for a, a new band, like, because, you know, like, we sold an insane amount of records the first week, and I thought, right. it was, I was like, whoa, how? How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, but people, people still, you know, come up to me and say that that record saved me, you know? Like, it, it, it was such a big record for so many people, and I'm just, you know, felt so lucky to be there at that time to ride that wave you know but yeah so in the in the downtime of a perfect circle which you know the downtime for perfect circle means maynard is doing tool so right. when maynard is doing tool that's like you know it's tool uh, you, yeah that's his his thing and so um i got i got a little antsy and and um you know if you remember on on the tour that we did together, I think our sound guy Hutch was doing that tour as well. That's right. So, so when when Queens were looking for a multi instrumentalist, you know, right at the time that they're just finishing songs for the deaf, Hutch, uh, you know, had Josh call me, and so I was like. He's like, so check it out. We're going to go on tour. Dave Grohl's playing drums. I mean, do you want to do it? I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to do it. So, and it was on April 1st too. And I was like, this is a nice, it's a good, right. it's a good April Fool's <laughs> prank that you're pulling. Cause I am a huge fan and I will, <laughs> I'll show up tomorrow and I'll do it. So, but yeah, so I had to learn like 40 songs in a week, in like less than a week of like keyboards and lap steel and guitar and and I was like I'll fucking do it so I did it and then inevitably it's that record's another really nice wave um to like ride and travel around the world you know with with probably the the most insane you know bunch of characters at the time <laughs> um and uh, I just figured, you know, I can't do both A Perfect Circle and Queens. And Queens, for me, seemed more of a, you know, like a my my band. Like, I could right. do, it could be my full-time thing. So that was, it's a hard decision at the time. Um, but, I mean, not now. <laughs> not now. <laughs> Looking back, it's, it was pretty good. When did you so, meet Josh? So I met Josh through Hutch. Uh, back in the failure days, he came to see us once or twice, and you know there was always this kind of like, I know, I, I mean we 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 got Hutch to do sound for failure because of Caius, right? So you know the way he made sound Caius sound live was you know he was like the the fifth member of the band, you know it, there was so much low end, it was so heavy and like yeah, so um. You know, there's always been this sort of like, oh, that that dude's cool, and I like him, and and you know, we see each other, and like, hey, you know, we're we're friendly every time. I I remember seeing him at at bars and around L.A. You know, whenever he was in town, and we always got along. So, um, yeah, it was just sort of a thing that was like, hey, why don't we try this? So it was very casual. Um, I liked that at the time. There yeah. was no like thinking about it 
Yeah, I remember seeing you get, you play with them for the first time, and I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And then I got up a little closer, and I was like, oh, shit, it's Troy. What are you doing here? Yeah. And I was like, hey, you're that guy. You're like, yeah, I'm over here now. I'm like, oh, you're over here now? I'm over here now. Like I swapped corporations or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. Fuck off. What's the dog's name? I believe that's Dolly Parton. <laughs> Of course. Just old Dolly Parton to fuck off. Obviously. Um, so now you've been in Queens longer than uh, anybody, even more than Josh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been, it's, I mean, we just, it would have been 19 years on April 1st this year. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel like that says a lot about you. I I don't know what it says. I I, I think it maybe you should say what it what it what it says I, I, about. Were me. you always into this idea of being, you know, the the consummate sideman, the the secret weapon? I mean, when did that kind of take hold in your brain? That uh, well, this I mean, that sort of do. that sort of became my default. You know, I, I and and I do like it. I trust me. I mean, because I um. So in that downtime that I had while I was, you know, doing studio work and stuff, I started this band called, it was a trio. It was, it was called Enemy. And it was me. Enemy. Um, Eddie Nappy from Handsome. Eddie. I love yeah. Eddie. Yes. I love Eddie too. And, um, and an assortment of drummers. Kelly was one. Um, Alan Cage from Quicksand played with us for a little while. All right. This guy named Hugh Hugh Mangum, um, uh, the drummer for Dead Z. His name is Alec Puro. <laughs> so there was a whole Dead mess Z. of drummers. Dead, Dead Z, Z with yeah. S Y, right? At yeah. Dead Z. I got it. Um, and so there was a whole mess of drummers on the record that we made. So we made that record. It actually got made right around '99 through 2002. So I I I I did take a stab at being a frontman like doing like singing and playing and I was like this is a lot of work <laughs> and uh and plus you got to entertain these people what the fuck is that all about yeah. I'm just trying to play and sing so I mean you know what it's like so I I feel like that was I got my my taste of that and it was it was it was fun for me but it seemed like I'm more suited to be the secret weapon kind of multitasking uh, guy, you know, I, I like that role. That means I can, you know, I don't have to play guitar, you know, mm -hmm. I can play a Moog synth or, or lap steel or, or, you know, I can play trombone if I want. Right. It'll sound terrible, but I can do it. Right. I um, mean, that's clearly what made you attractive to the Queens was the fact that you were going to be able to do all that stuff like lap, pedal steel and stuff like that yeah yeah i mean it, it was it was for me um i i just i like those challenges and um i i'm i'm cool with that i, I and i'm i i think you know you're a front man you know and i look at you know i look at guys like you and like and like josh and it's like it takes a certain sort of you know there's a certain thing that you you have to be you know, this presence. An asshole. And it, <laughs> you, you have to be that sometimes. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, it's just something that, that isn't 
like a, a tool that I can whip out and just do, you know? And, and, and so, yeah. Well, I mean, it also seems smart. Like, you know, we were talking about, I mean, everybody wants to be the lead guy. And so you've got all these guys trying to elbow each other out of the way, but then you've got people like Paige and even, uh, we were talking about cheap trick, like Rick Nielsen, Rick Nielsen, can sing, he writes all the lyrics, well, not all of them, but he can write all the lyrics if he wants and write all the music, and he's like, no, 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 I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guitar sure. player. And I want to get you know the rock god Robin Zander to sing these songs. You know, It totally. just seems smarter to me than the lunkhead who wants to be play guitar and sing. Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, Scott, if you could get Robin Zander to sing your songs, you'd probably go for it, right? I mean, who that, wouldn't? That would be smart. That would be smart. I've I've seen them play recently and it's it still gets me. I mean, and I know Bunny's not there, but I think it's Rick's son. Yeah. Who's playing drums? Um, I mean, he's fucking great. Dax, it's fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah, and their set lists are more interesting now that Bunny's. It's not really there, cool because I remember, you know, seeing them, you know, back in like '89 or something like that, and. I noticed the distinct difference between like the stuff that we grew up on, like in color heaven tonight, you know, um, those records, you know, dream police seemed like to have this other energy that was mm-hmm. just classic. And then they played the new stuff, which was like, this is nice. And it's kind of like polished and it's, and it's still good. It's just, it's just not as raw, I guess. But, that went away um, the last time I saw them. Like everything just felt like it's just straight up cheap trick. And, uh, yeah. That made me happy. Yeah. They, they, there's a lot of uh, not giving a fuck and, and sure. sloppiness. Yeah. Like he's like, they're, they're great. Dude, they're he's so sloppy. <laughs> Dude, like he's so into throwing picks at everybody. And like we're watching on the side of the stage in Barcelona at some festival. He's just like, spent half the set throwing picks at us and like making funny faces at us rick you know so he saw you guys on the side of the stage and he's decided to yeah he's looking at us he's not there's like forty thousand people out there that are dancing to his music and he's like hey look at these assholes over here yeah you don't give a fuck he wants to know who these guys are over here yeah (laughs) totally totally i just wanted to ask one question uh about enemy now you offered up the chance for a record label to sign you on eBay? Is, is that what somebody... So is I that have, true? That was true. When eBay sort of first came out, or when I first heard about it, <laughs> um, basically our manager at the time, uh, he thought it would be this cool sort of story, you know. But <laughs> the funny thing is, there, there wasn't really any offers. <laughs> it was just a story. We were like, yeah, we'll sell the band on eBay. Right. I think we got a $500 offer. <laughs> From who? I was who? like, huh, yeah, maybe we'll take it. Um, but yeah, it was more like a like a promo sort of like, yeah. It worked. I, Here I am idea. talking about it. Yeah. Looking, still, now I feel still, like an idiot. That was what we were so famous for. Right. And so, so how many years... Do you think you've lost uh, on that uh, Songs for the Deaf tour? How long did that go? Well, the two years that it took, um, 
that ad probably added up to at least f- a five-year hit on uh, yeah, my, I, my, my body and soul. That's a conservative estimate, I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm known as the, the best exaggerator in the world. Uh, right. Not, not really. But um, it's, uh, it, it, I, I'm trying to be conservative about it, yeah. Because I, I like to think I have more, <laughs> more in me <laughs> 20 years you guys, later. Yeah. You guys are on fire. I mean, it, it was, it's just it like... Was, so I, 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 it never ended. I thought about this and it was just a, like a, I, I think we scared some people and I think we took some insane chances and we definitely, you know, um, we were that band that you didn't want to go on after at that mm-hmm. point. I mean, we just had this, you know, when when you're playing with Nick Oliveri and and you got Lanigan and you got Nick and you've got this crazy looking band and and you know it's just wild and so yeah it definitely took some years off my life and um, in a good way I think it definitely <laughs> opened up my eyes to a to a different sort of like realm as well um you know when 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 you're on tour for two years and and you know everyone's fucked up and everyone's going nuts and everybody's enjoying the success it's just you know that fuse ends up running out and, and shit explodes you know so that that kind of happened yeah. um and I think we all have a little shrapnel from that. But, you know, lessons are learned. And hopefully you don't repeat <laughs> the stupid behavior, you know. Or at least, <laughs> like, try to... I, 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 You know, it's funny. Josh says this all the time. Everything in moderation. Even moderation. And so, that's right. the new motto. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was it was a... <laughs> It was the best of times, and it was the f- most fucked up of times, to quote a buck that never existed. Yeah, I mean, I remember the, sh- the shows on the tour for uh, the next record, Lullabies to Paralyze. That, I mean, that was, especially compared to it, I mean, it was definitely a muted affair, you know? It was like those, those shows were just kind of like, all right, let's kind of fucking get some, regain some control over this, and let's, let's slow down for a yeah, second. Yeah, there, there was a real conscious... Um, sort of idea to like not repeat ourselves, especially with all the you know all the damage that had been done, and that was the tour where Alan and and Natasha were playing with us, and the musicality became more of the star of the show than the wild you know sort of you know. Nick on stage naked with a playing a Dan Armstrong bass um, yeah. and, you know, kicking drinks all over the place. And so we, we definitely had that sort of like epiphany that we should just, we should really just focus on the playing and the music and turn the lights down a little bit, get a little dark and, and moody. And so that was a, 
a decided sort of like a you know thing that we would we would sort of have discussions about like we need to kind of change it up you know add some feminine energy to the band you know right. although natasha was such right, a fucking right. badass motherfucking beast of a player and character as well you know it was nice to have her with us you know at that time how did all that go over with like uh interscope say or you know everybody else wanting well you as, to as, keep going as, as you know, they just want record sales, <laughs> you know, and we did pretty good. I mean, we, we did out of the box. We did pretty well with lullabies, you know, and, um, you know, it was it was it's one of those records that people still go, oh, I really love that record, you know, and, and so it's it's a favorite for yeah. some people, not everybody. Um and it's that, that's the kind of the point, you know. It's like when you're making records for this long, you can't repeat yourself. You can't do the same thing over and over again. You just end up being a parody, and no one wants to do that. So, um, so I think it was a good experience to kind of like change it up at that point, and then open up ourselves to, you know, do whatever else was next, you know, by showing a little bit of flexing a little bit of more a little bit more musicality and a little more uh, you know uncertainty and a little more um you know lyrically more um being a little more vulnerable well what about era vulgaris what was the thinking behind that other than switching to uh well telecasters? so so a lot of lullabies was written on the road during songs for the deaf yeah um so that was sort of set like it was going to be, you know, the wheels were turning already, you know, while we're still right. on tour. So we came home from um, the tour of of lullabies, and we had one song. <laughs> we had one song. <laughs> Which two, one? Two, I'm sorry, two songs, because one of the songs on the record is um, Make It With You, which is off the Desert Sessions. So that song was right. already, you know... We just decided to, to record it again as Queens. But the one song that we had um, was called um, Into the Hollows. So, oh, yeah. De definitely the second best song on to the To me, record. like, that that one was a special one, too, because it's like, you know, we literally were, a lot, like a lot of the songs on, on Era Vulgaris, we were writing them as they were coming out pure out of the tap, you know. And some of the drums takes are are basically the 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 first takes. The I mean, barely getting mics up, you know, is more like like I have an idea. Let's just track this, and you know, like the drum track for six 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 was probably four mics. It's just they literally threw up four mics, and that was the drum sound. Same with Hollow and Make It With You. Those were two songs that were kind of tracked as they were kind of being finessed you know so it was it, so era vulgaris is more of an experiment of like you know we were doing it at cherokee studio which which was about to close which you know like station to station was done there and like all the rod stewart records oh, really it's it yeah cherokee was this kind of studio and it had this this great console in it called it was the trident a range and it none of us have ever used that kind of a console before so it was kind of 
you know, I mean, Alan was, is engineering the record, you know, and Chris yeah. Goss is producing the record. And we would start at probably sundown and work till 7 a.m. It was a dark, it was a, it was a midnight record. Yeah. Know, all the way through. So a lot of that stuff, a lot of the, that record is really super raw ideas coming out and just tracking them and, and seeing what happens, you know. So And a lot so of telecasters. A lot of a lot of single coil pickup guitars ended up on that record. Yeah. This when did some, you who who whose idea was all that stuff? Well, I had started playing a telly like on on um on lullabies a little bit and Yep. Um, so for Air Vulgaris, we got, we got a bunch of Japanese guitars, like Tisco Del Rey's, you know, I mean, some of those, the pickups in those guitars are so unique sounding. Um, and so, and I got this, this vintage Jaguar that I was in love with. So it just started kind of coming out that way. Like, like, you know, we would have one or two songs that have the Queens, like, you know, sound. And then the rest of them were mm-hmm. like, this is our experiments. You know, it's not supposed to sound like us. Right. So, so it was kind of cool to like do different, you know, different single paths for us, you know, not, not using the same old shit. So there was a lot of new yeah tonality yeah. on that record for us. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're getting fucking smacked up the head. <laughs> Definitely. Well, my, I think what, one of my favorite songs is on there. Uh, I'm designer. What, yeah. what was going on when you guys put that together? It was literally like a, a riff that Josh had. And he was like, more than anything, I want this to be like a pompous fucking pop song. And, mm. and that's what I think of it. It's, it's like saying, you know, yeah, my generation's for sale. And who like, who's the highest bidder i'm ready i'll fucking sell myself right. uh, you know it's sort of like a you know i'm not afraid to i sold out the second i got out of my bedroom you know <laughs> it's sort of like that that character of like why are you being so fucking precious and it's pre it's it's sort of like a, a yeah it's it's kind of like to, to me it it's it's kind of like just saying oh don't be such a pussy you know, sell your soul. Yeah. It's cool. Just stop being a, yeah. <laughs> stop worrying about it. You know, it's, it's fine. Right. I mean, who really you cares know? in the end? You know, it's kind of like, who cares? What do you think? Somebody else is worrying about it as much as you are. They don't give a fuck. I know. Just, it's, it's going to be fine. You're going to sell your soul. You'll go to hell when you're dead. It's cool. <laughs> right. Don't worry about it right now. Right. So to me, it was, it's very funny and pompous and, and sort of like, this it's got a hell of a hook. Yeah, the I mean to me it's got hooks all over and it was definitely a song that was like I felt, you know, like you know like if I were a fly on the wall of of the recording sessions that, of anything that Bowie and Iggy did in Berlin. Mm-hmm. That's what we were trying to kind of like capture that that energy, you know. So, you know, I'm not saying that we were trying to copy them. We were just trying to get that feeling, you know, right. when you listen right. to the idiot, you're like, wow, this song fun time. It doesn't sound very fun, but I like yeah. it. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? It's like dark as fuck. <laughs> yeah, I know. But sometimes you make a record and you want to shake people off 
And sometimes, sure. you know, I feel like maybe Era Vulgaris is kind of like, yeah, we we want to shake this shit off, you know, before we. I, I would say hit them. That's a that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like, you know, um, leaving breadcrumbs to, you know, to a cliff, <laughs> like, <laughs> right, you know. I mean, if when you guys started doing that that uh, that anniversary tour for the self-titled record, yeah, it seemed to me like something started a brewing around that time. Like I remember going to that show and I was like, "Wait, what the fuck?" I mean, this is people were excited, and then when you guys started touring for like Clockwork, you guys were full on arena stars, and I was like, "Ah, oh, god damn it, what happened?" You know, and then I was really bummed. I, <laughs> I. Uh... I think what happened on that first record tour, is personally, I, 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 what what I loved about it was, um, it was a kind of back to basics, like you know. Yeah. So, that record is very simple, and it's just, it's just great, and I love that record. Um, it's um, to me, it's like when you have five guys on stage. And there's only three parts being played. The other two guys play percussion and sing backups, you know. So me and Dean were, mm-hmm. we were doing all the color work. And then when we really wanted it to fucking hammer, we would all come in with the guitars, you know, and and hit the choruses or whatever. But, you know, it was it was fun to just play that record as it is, no frills and play maraca all night you know it's like play maracas right. not try to update and not it not try to update way. it not try to change it and so that kind of simplified all of us all of our brains a bit um before we started <laughs> making clockwork um and you know for me clockwork um that one that one really sort of uh, yeah again we didn't know what we were going to do. <laughs> we had no material. Um, and the material that we had <laughs> was dark and, and, um, you know, that, that song vampire of time and memory, like that song would, wouldn't be, wouldn't exist at a different time in the Queens, but it's one of the, for me, it's like one of the best songs you know, the band's ever, you know, performed. And so, and it doesn't sound like the Queens. And that's kind of mm-hmm. the point. It's like, right. It's like a real emotion that's happening. And it's a real scary emotion. And it's a real, like, you know, when, when, you know, when you're in this band that, that has this reputation, and sometimes you feel like that's not correct all the time. And you get to express that, and, and people go, oh, okay. I'll accept that, you know, or I dig it, or I'm a fan, or even more of a fan. That's that's great. But, again, I think we might have lost some people with that record, but we gained a lot of new people. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, I think a lot of people really embraced that record. Like, so that uh, was, and that's, again, that's okay, you know. But it's like, yeah, for me, you know, being on the inside... You know, I'm always thinking about the process and how did it come to be and like how how did we get there and again, you know, sometimes we we get obsessive 
you know we get obsessive about our our own music and you know there were there were times during making that record where i didn't know if we were ever going to finish it you know because we didn't know we, <laughs> right. we were like how i don't know is this sound right i have no idea so right. there was a, definitely some walls being broken down in the songwriting era um, area for for clockwork I mean, you guys seemed uh, as surprised as anybody at the reaction about it. I remember, like, I forget, you guys were playing some, you were playing All-State Arena, and I walk in, and you guys were like, right? How did this happen? It yeah. Was like, or it was like, it's about time, right? And I, I guess. Yeah, Is this it was amazing. Right, <laughs> right. right. It, yeah, I think when we finally, you know, and we we literally handed in the masters as we were on a plane flight and it was due that day to play our first, we were on our way to South America to play our first show with, a, you know, our newest, our newest member, John playing drums. Right. And it's in front of 60,000 people. <laughs> and we're like, well, there's no pressure. So mm-hmm. dive in the deep end, John. And so, and it went, it was, it went great, but it's just one of those things where like we took, Every second of every day, up until the the final deadline to hand it in, and then right. I just remember getting on the plane and Josh was like, "I'm just gonna say sorry right now. We we probably end up just playing the troubadour from now on. So sorry." <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of that reckless, sort of like abandon that you know, I think got us through somehow. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think if, I mean, and, and this is d- down to you too. I mean, if your career has proven anything, it's that the shit isn't a sprint, you know? And it's yeah, like, yeah, for sure. You can feel like you're behind and then all of a sudden you're so far ahead. I mean, it's, you know, that's why this show's called Lifers. Is that why? <laughs> he did it. He did it. He said the name. He fucking got it. I think it. he might have listened to one of these before, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, no, I, I just think that, um, yeah, it's chess. It's a chess game to, to me. And I don't really, I'm not a good chess player by any means, but no, <laughs> that's Nobody what people is. say. This is chess. It's not checkers. Um, yeah, then they, they have no idea. I know. What that I, means. And I, I'm, yeah, it's, it sounds good. Um, yeah, I, I just, this yeah. is part cheesy, damn it. <laughs> this is backgammon, right? No, um, it's, it's. Sorry is what it is. You know that game sorry? It's definitely sorry. <laughs> it's either that or operation. Operation. <laughs> um, no, but it's definitely, operate. I think we, uh, I specifically try to like look at the long haul, you know, and yeah. the arc of, of whatever, whatever I'm trying to do or whatever we're trying to do. So somehow we end up on the other side being okay and that's fine that's that's all we really want one last thing i gotta ask you about is iggy pop okay let's talk about iggy pop and one of the things that you told me that freaked me out was you said those background vocals on lust for life they were not david bowie so the record lust for life the majority of the backing vocals were hunt and tony sales soupy's kids Soupy's Kids. <laughs> hey, that's the new show, Soupy's Kids. Um, yeah, and and I was blown away by by hearing that too. 
Um, so, and yeah, I, I mean, those, those guys in that band and, you know, when you go down the wormhole of YouTube, of performances with those guys, like doing the dinosaur show with, with Bowie, yeah. like stacking <laughs> seven keyboards on top and just like going, yep, I'm, that's me, David Bowie. Like I'm, I'm like the operator at the fucking hotel, you know, <laughs> six in, in 1934. Um, just, it's weird to see, but that band was so fucking great. It was so good. Well, what else, what else did you learn about those records that you were just like, wait, what? He, well, he, so Iggy had notes and I didn't get the chance to go over like, you know, like all of the recording notes and stuff. Cause I, my role in the band was to like put together the David Bowie keyboard rig from hell, you know, in, but you know, I, I uh -huh. couldn't do it with all those vintage synths. So I, Luckily, we have some technology that can mimic some of that stuff. But I had to program all that, all those keyboard sounds. So I got the list of all the synths that they used on each song. And, you know, there was like this little spinet piano that they had a pickup on. Or they put a microphone in there and they plugged it into a Marshall. So all the piano sounds that are all distorted like on, on the idiot is that sound. So as I'm putting together this yeah. keyboard rig, I'm like putting, you know, a rat pedal <laughs> like on the piano sound admit, to mimic that sound. And so, yeah, Arp Odyssey, you know, Mini Moog, uh, there's an Arp string machine, all this stuff that, you know, that I was like, wow, it would be such a pain in the ass to take this all on the road. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, so so he Iggy had notes and his memory is like a steel trap. Like he would say a story, he would talk about you know how the how lust for life came to be. You know, like um, I guess they were in Berlin and there sometimes there's like a I guess there's like an emergency broadcast system over there that went. And then they just, and Bowie's like, well, sing it. Why don't you write something about lust for life? It's just like, okay. It's that easy, huh? Thanks. That's it. That's it, huh? Oh, okay. They just seen the Kirk Douglas movie. And they're like, fuck it. And I hear these stories and I'm like, do you know how hard it is for us to like just write a song that easily <laughs> you know what i mean right. it's like we, or, do you, we, or do you know how hard hard it is for us to, to just believe you and this story because i know a bunch but of it's like to me. it seems so believable i was like well i mean why not <laughs> it's just crazy and who would make something up like that exactly i was like that story's too good to be bullshit <laughs> and if it is bullshit i don't care Yes, print the legend. My generation's for sale. It's a steady job. How much have you got? My generation don't trust no one. It's hard to blame. Not even ourselves. The thing that's we 
Bye.